I want to get to it because I kind of got a lot to say to you today. Um, the water is boiling. Time for tea. Because uh, we, this is for uh, baptism. We're going to baptize some people today. And so I thought y'all might want to participate in the baptism class. And I've been, just FYI, I'm going to say this right up front. I've been praying this week for some spontaneous baptisms. So if you're here today, you weren't planning on getting baptized, but you hear this message and you want to get baptized, um, let's do it. And uh, I got a t-shirt for you, I think, but I don't have any pants for you. So you're going to be, I don't know. So... This is Dr. Opara. Am I even on? I don't know if I'm on. Whatever. I'm just going to talk loud. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Opara is a local doctor here. Um, Okay. I guess I'm fine. Uh, Local doctor here uh, who is from Nigeria, and he wants to build a hospital in Nigeria. And he was about $12,000 short of building his hospital. I told the church for a couple weeks, hey, we're going to help him build his hospital. I didn't tell him that, but I invited him to come tell his story. How in the world did a, uh, a man from Nigeria end up a doctor in Walla Walla and then doing all this amazing mission work in Nigeria, saving lives, all of that. Just come tell your story. It'll inspire us. So he told his story, and uh, I su- we surprised him at the end and took an offering. And he needed $12,000 to finish up his fundraising to build a hospital. Building a hospital for $60,000, by the way. Like, you can't buy a plot of land here for that. Uh, And on that Sunday, this church gave $14,000. So you guys are amazing. And I got to meet with him and give him that check uh, yesterday. It was pretty awesome. So... Uh, that was really awesome. So he sends his love and thanks. And I, I told him, the Bible says, where your treasure is, your heart is. So now that we've invested our treasure into him and what he's doing in Nigeria, now this church has a heart for Nigeria. Our heart is in Nigeria now. So anyway, pretty exciting stuff. I just want to preach the stinking gospel as hard as I can today. This is just going to be the gospel straight up, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And as I was preparing this week, I just was convicted, I don't want to preach anything else. Yeah. I don't want to talk about anything else. Death, burial, resurrection. Let's just live there. So uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, to 3 and 4 says this, I passed on to you, this is what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth, I passed on to you what was most important. Okay, I passed on to you the most important message. And what had also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Paul says, hey, if you don't catch anything else I said, I passed on to you the most important message. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. It's the most important message I'll ever preach Paul's saying it's the most important message he ever preached. And here at this church, one of our core values is that Jesus is our hero. We always preach Jesus. We don't preach behavior modification here. 
We don't say if you try harder and do better, Jesus will love you more. We, when we look at the scriptures, even the Old Testament stories, when we read the story of David and Goliath, the lesson of David and Goliath isn't what you could do if you were courageous. The lesson of David and Goliath is you and I were Saul. That was our giant we were supposed to face. But the son of David stepped in our place, faced the giant of sin on our behalf, and he has cut his head off. Jesus is the hero. We preach Christ. And if Jesus doesn't need to die, be buried, and resurrected for this message to make sense, then we are wasting our time. Every Sunday now, every week as I prepare uh, for this service, I ask myself, does Jesus need to die and raise from the dead for this message to make sense? And if he doesn't need to die and be raised again, resurrected, then it's not a message worth preaching. I just want to preach the gospel as hard as I stinking can. Nothing else matters if that doesn't happen. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If Jesus didn't die, we should live in utter terror every day of our lives in anticipation of the day we stand before God in judgment. And if he wasn't buried, then my shame wasn't buried. Then my past is still taunting and haunting me. I would have to live the rest of my life looking over my shoulder. And if he wasn't resurrected, we have no power. If Jesus only died, he paid the penalty of sin, but he didn't defeat death. The resurrection is why we can say, Oh, death, where is your sting? So I have three simple points today. Death, burial, and resurrection. But first, why did Jesus come? Why on earth did Jesus come? To understand the importance of the death, burial, and resurrection, we have to first understand the eternal purposes of God, his plan for you and I. Why did he create the universe? Why, did, why have we gone through the mess that we've gone through in human history? First, God created us, right? He created man for relationship. And then man rebelled against God. And God choose, chose one family out of all the sinners on the planet, We blame Adam and Eve, but the truth is, you and I wouldn't have done any better. And sin spiraled out of control, and the whole planet was a mess. So much so, he started over with Noah, right? And still, that didn't fix it. And so then he chose one family. He went to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to choose your family as a remnant, as a remnant. His intention was always the whole planet, but he said, I need to start with one family. And I need, I need to, to, to raise them up in, 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 so that they can walk in my ways. And then that family will, will preach the gospel to the whole world, if you will. And so he chose the family as a remnant. This family ends up enslaved in Egypt, just like us with our sin, right? And God sends a deliverer, Moses, just like he sent Jesus. After God delivers this family, he makes a covenant with them. I'll make you a great nation. If you trust and obey me, he says, hey, let's make a deal here. You're just a family right now, but if you'll trust me, if you'll obey me, I will reward you. I will reward that trust. I'll reward that faith, and I'll make you a great nation. I've got a land for you flowing with milk and honey, 
and I'm going to put you there, and I'm going to bless you, and all the nations of the earth are going to look to you, and when they look at you, they'll see me. That was his plan. But this nation, these people, spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness being tested. Can they trust? Can they obey? Why did they have to wander learning to trust and obey? Because God is a rewarder. They needed to be tested so that God could reward them. You know, in the New Testament, it says, if, if you're going to please God, you've got to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's something in his nature that wants to reward. And so he says, here's the deal. I'm, I, here, here's, here's the rules to the game. You obey, I reward. And so he puts them in the wilderness so that they can be rewarded. But they just keep failing over and over and over again. They fail the test over and over and over again. And eventually, you read it in Jeremiah 3, God divorces these people. Heartbreaking. All that time put in, all that love, all that mercy, and he finally says, I need a divorce. So then Jesus comes on the scene to raise up a new remnant, a new family, a spiritual nation, a spiritual Israel. In order to create this spiritual Israel, he passes the test that they fail. He spends 40 days in the wilderness passing the test they couldn't pass in 40 years. When he was tempted, stones to bread. Do you remember, you remember when Israel was wandering in the wilderness and they're getting hungry and they're murmuring and they're complaining and they say, actually, our life in Egypt was better than this. You know, it was, it's much better trusting Pharaoh than trusting God. And so here they are. Here's Jesus in the wilderness 40 days of fasting, starving, just like Israel. And the devil says, hey, why don't you make some bread? Why don't you reject God's plan and do it your own way, just like Israel? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then, and then of course, he says, hey, if you bow down and worship me, right? We could, we could shorten this whole plan you have of redemption. No cross, no nothing. You just worship me, and I'll give you the nation. Now, you can remember this part of the story with Israel, right? How long were they delivered? How long was Moses up on that mountain? And they built themselves a golden calf? Throw yourself off this building. Take matters into your own hands and force God to do something on your behalf. Just like striking the rock. Do it in your own strength and expect God to move. And you remember, every one of these, right? He quotes scripture. Do you know where every one of these scriptures are found in the Bible? The book of Deuteronomy, which was written while Israel is failing their test in the wilderness. He went to the wilderness where they spent 40 years failing. He spent 40 days succeeding and passing the test. 
The life of Jesus is an undoing of the life of Israel. He lived the life we couldn't live so that when we are in him, we can receive the blessings of his obedience. Listen, God so badly wants to reward you that he punished Jesus in your place so that he could reward you in his. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we get the free gift in Christ? Because he obeyed where we didn't. And the reward that he is due for his obedience that was actually promised to us, but we couldn't keep it, we couldn't keep the law. Now Jesus earned the reward, and when we're in Christ, we receive that free gift. So in his life, the reward has been earned. But unfortunately, we still have all this this sin in our lives to deal with, right? Let's talk about the death of Jesus on the cross. Just real quick, these are, here's six things Jesus' death accomplished. And these are uh, theological uh, terms that you can, uh, you can look at, but um, the, the first is that his cross removed our guilt and sin. The expiation of sin, uh, of, uh, of our sin and guilt. It removed our sin. The second is it's our propitiation. It's the removal of God's wrath. So it removed, his death removed the sin and guilt from our lives. And it also removed the wrath of God. All of God's wrath he poured out on Jesus. So when you are in Christ, God is always in a good mood toward you. He has no more wrath left for you. He poured it all out on Jesus. He's always happy towards you. He's always pleased with you because he has no more anger towards you to give. He already poured it all out on Jesus. He's always pleased with you. The third thing the cross did when Jesus died was reconciliation. So it removed our sin and guilt, it removed God's wrath, and it removed our alienation from God. So not, it's not just that he forgave us and that he's no longer mad at us. You might have some people in your life that you've forgiven and you're not mad at anymore, but um, they're not coming to lunch today. You know what I mean? I forgive you over there. You just stay over there and I'll forgive you. But the cross takes it one step further. He wasn't satisfied to just not be mad at you. The cross reconciled us. It brought us closer. It removed the alienation from God. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The fourth thing it did is it redeemed us or it ransomed us. You think of it this way. Your life has been kidnapped, hijacked by sin. And Jesus paid the ransom. And you've been set free. You've been set free from the curse of the law. You've been set free from the guilt of sin. And you've been set free from the power of sin. He already paid. 
The fifth thing, the cross, the death of Jesus did is it defeated the powers of darkness. Satan has no hold on me. One of the names for Satan is the accuser of the brethren. His only weapon against you is unforgiven sin. But once you've been forgiven, he has no accusation toward you. He has nothing he can bring against you. That's been dealt with. It's his only weapon. The death of Jesus defeated the power of darkness. And the sixth thing the death of Jesus did is it atoned for our sin. It's substitutionary. Atonement means substitution. Jesus died the death you should have died so that you could live the life that only he deserved to live. That's what the death of Jesus did. So what's this have to do with baptism? Following Jesus actually begins with two crosses, his and mine. It's not true to say he died so that you don't have to. Jesus said, if anyone's going to follow me, he's got to take up his cross, right? Let me, let me show you something in scripture. Now, when, I wish we could fully understand the mind and the culture of the day the gospels were written because there were, there were writing techniques that they used in those days that I think are kind of lost on us. But when those New Testament believers would read the gospel, there were things that would shout at them, that would stick out to them because they were familiar with these writing styles. And I want to point one out to you. Remember the story. This is in Mark 10. Uh, and two of Jesus' disciples, they come to Jesus, and they, they, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. And they come to him with, with a request. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Remember this story? And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. And remember the second part of his, his response? He says, are you able, able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And, you know, they, these, these guys are ignorant. They, oh, yeah, sure, Jesus, yeah, give us the cup. We'll drink it, whatever. We, we've seen John baptize people. Yeah, we'll be baptized, whatever you're talking about. Mark, this, this book is so amazingly written because then you fast forward in the story to chapter 15, and Jesus is on the cross. And it's not by accident. This is one of those writing techniques. The author here uses the same language. And he says, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right hand and one on his left. They got what these disciples asked for. And when Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for, They were asking for a cross. Your cross is his glory. You don't don't get to escape death to follow Jesus. You embrace it. Because it's only through death that we can follow Jesus. See, Christ died for sin. We die to sin.
Our death is a death of our own lordship. The truth is, you don't want to follow Jesus. You don't. You don't want good things. I don't like nice things. I like sin. I like my way. I like destructive things. If you gave me a thousand choices all on my own, I would choose my way every time. That is what has to die. And we've got a million people that call themselves Christians on this planet and they never died. And how you know it is when you, what you think is good and what Jesus thinks in, are, is good are in conflict. Who wins? Well, I feel like a woman. Jesus says I'm a man. Who wins? I feel... Like I should be allowed to step out on my spouse. Jesus says you made a covenant. Who wins? Who wins? I'm dead. I don't care what your values are. I don't care what my values are. I don't care what you like or what I like or what you think is important or what I think is important. We're dead. We died to all that. So when you're, when you're choosing a new job, Oh, which one would make me happier? Which one would make me feel more fulfilled? You're dead. Dead people don't feel fulfilled and happy. They're dead. Jesus, I, I'm dead to my wants. I'm dead to my desires. I'm dead to what I feel like I need. What do you want? Burial. I love this quote, Sam Morris. The tomb of Christ is famous because of what it does not contain. While I wholeheartedly believe that, I want to be clear today, the tomb was not empty. They did see something in there. Graves clo grave clothes, right? All folded up. Those were my grave clothes he wore in that tomb. He wore my garments of death into the tomb and then he left them there. He took my flawed, broken iniquity. Iniquity is the twisting of the human spirit that happens from uh, sin being passed down from generation to generation to generation. Sin has an effect on us, even our bodies. Iniquity is the twisting of us in our inside that happens because of sin. He took all of that. He took it into the tomb with him, and it stayed there. When you go visit somebody's grave... We have this gravestone, right? And the gravestone represents a life lived. We even, we even put the date they were born and the dash and the date they died and all of that. Maybe a little something about, about their life on, on, um, 
on that gravestone. But here's the thing about Jesus' gravestone. It doesn't represent his life. It represents our life. You know, some gravestones say, here lies, yada, 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 yada. Here lies Nathan. His selfishness, his pride, his arrogance, his rebellion, his depression, his insecurity, his failures, his fears. That tomb was not empty. It was full. But it wasn't full of just the bad stuff. My dreams, my passions, they're buried there too. Because here's the, here's the truth. You don't know what will fulfill you. You don't. I took my kids to Silverwood a few years ago. They'd never been to Silverwood. They'd been to the, you know, fair here with the Ferris wheel and stuff like that. And we're in Silverwood. We're in Silverwood for like two hours. And all we've ridden is like the Ferris wheel and like, I think, the bumper boats. And I'm sitting with my kids, and I said, guys, they're having a blast. And I'm like, guys, we're not riding. They wanted to get in line and ride the Ferris wheel again. And I said, we're not riding the Ferris wheel again. <laughs> and they're mad at me. Why won't you brought us here to ride rides? Why won't you let me ride the Ferris wheel? They had no idea the joy out there for them. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the corkscrew. <laughs> you don't know what you're passionate about, actually. You don't know what, what dreams will fulfill your life. The worst thing that could happen to you is you get exactly what you've always dreamed of. So I leave that stuff in the tomb, too. C.S. Lewis said it this way, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's what happened when Jesus was buried. So real quick here, what's that have to do with baptism? I love this quote. This is uh, um, a uh, professor at uh, a seminary, a uh, friend of mine. He says it this way. Each of us needs to wrap our dreams and expectations in the burial clothes of Christ and place them in the tomb. All right, let's move on to resurrection. That's why we're here today. Actually, those last two points don't really matter all that much if I don't have this third point. <laughs> Pretty sad story. I was thinking about it. Good Friday is only Good Friday because of today. Yeah. Billy Graham said this, the entire plan for the future has its key in the resurrection. Resurrection represents the power of the gospel. Sin died when Christ died, but death died when he rose. His death and burial took care of my old life. His resurrection gave me a new one. It's great. I'm so, so thankful that he paid the penalty for my sin. But 
If he didn't rise again, all I'd have was a clean slate. I'd be walking the same weak, empty, lifeless existence if it wasn't for the resurrection. His resurrection gives me power to walk in victory. His resurrection gives me power to see miracles, healing, and deliverance. Listen to this. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So, when I lay hands on the sick and they recover, I'm testifying to the resurrection of Christ. Can we take a moment? I know that there are people in this room that need a miracle. If you need a miracle in your physical body, can you just raise your hand? I know there are some people in this room that need a miracle. All right, guess what? Everyone around them, look at your own hands. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in these hands. Now lay hands on the sick. The Bible says when you do it, they will recover. Can you just, let's just take one minute and you pray for the sick. And you call on the resurrection power of Jesus to move in their body. Come on, Jesus. <clears throat> Come on. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We declare that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is flowing in this room. And Lord, we, de we declare that we don't preach a gospel of empty words, but of power. So we just release the power of the gospel into each and every body now in the name of Jesus. Amen. How about one more quote? Frederick Buechner. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. God promised in his word to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good, right? So if it's not good, he's not done. And we're not entitled to see the goodness. Not on our timetable. We're, we're a part of a family that is so much bigger than us. Would it be okay if you saw the goodness when you saw Jesus face to face? 
in heaven? Is that enough? Is heaven good enough? Yeah, resurrection doesn't mean we get an easy, happy life. Resurrection means all that darkness is not the end of the story. All right, we're going to baptize some people. And I don't know, maybe you're here and you feel like you want to get baptized. You're welcome to join us and get dunked. Uh, I love dunking people. So, uh, but before we do that, I just want to challenge everybody. As I was preparing this week, as I was preparing this week, I just felt really strongly that the Holy Spirit said that there are some of us that need to re-baptize certain areas of our life. I just saw some people taking their wallet and dunking it in the tank. You don't have to literally do that. Or maybe taking your wedding ring and dunking it in the tank. Or maybe taking your phone. <laughs> Mine's waterproof. I'll be okay. Maybe taking your TV and dunk it in the tank. Or maybe your calendar needs to get dunked. Or I don't know what it is. But I just felt very strongly that we need to revisit the commitment we made in these waters. Your life is not your own. You've been bought and paid for, and it was a hefty price. So we don't exist for our own fulfillment. We exist for his glory, right? So I'm going to pray, and I just want to invite you. You don't have to physically do anything, but... I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. What needs to be rebaptized in your life? What needs to die, get buried, and be resurrected into the new life of Jesus? The way you've been handling your money needs to die and be buried, never to come back again. And it needs to be resurrected in the way God intends for you to use your money. Amen. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you now, speak to your people. Put your finger on every area of our heart that needs to be re-baptized. That needs to be recommitted. Lord, where have I been breathing CPR into the old man? Lord, for every one of us, I just pray for a fresh baptism. We pray all the time for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I don't know how often we come back to the, the baptism of salvation, the, the waters of, of baptism, and say, Lord, I need a fresh baptism. I need to recommit again. I need to remind myself I'm dead again. So, Lord, speak to our hearts. Gently put your finger on every area of our life that needs to die, needs to be buried, and resurrected into that new life. In Jesus' name, amen.